The prophet Amos asked this question. Does evil befall a city unless the Lord has done it? And the answer is no. For there is only one creator in the world. By him all things were made. And without him was not anything made that was made. For does evil befall a city? Unless the Lord has done it. And then we see 200,000 Pakistanians in a matter of hours wiped out by a typhoon followed by the usual tidal wave. And we wonder why the Lord did it. But who is the Lord? If you study the scriptures carefully, you'll find out who did it. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelled within us. Aren't you wearing a robe dipped in blood? That is the robe, this garment of flesh is the robe that the Word of God wears. And the Word of God is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word, spoken of in Scripture, is seated right here, in a garment dipped in blood. And that being Seated here is your own wonderful human imagination. God and man are inseparable because God is man and exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the human imagination. That is God himself. So whether it be the typhoon that wipes out 200,000 in a matter of hours, or the long weekend that took almost 700 lives in our country, in this wonderful weekend where it is all thanksgiving and all a joyful state, it is still done by the Lord. So when Amos asked the question, he answered it. Does evil befall a city unless it has been done by the Lord. Well, one must know who the Lord is. And the Lord is our own wonderful human imagination. Therefore you and I have the identical talent. You want to call God a talent. But not all of us trust him. Not all of us cultivate him. The identical God. For God is one. In his name is one. But do I trust the Lord? Do I cultivate the Lord? All we have to do really, if I really accept the Lord as my own wonderful human imagination, is to work it up, work up my own imagination to the state of vision. And then the thing is done. 
you mean it comes out that very moment before me? Not necessarily. It could. But the vision has its own appointed hour. It ripens. It will flower. If it seems to us long, wait. For it is sure, and it will not be late. You take any state in this world, and in your imagination you work it out. And I tell you, from my own experience, you can see it. It becomes an almost an objective reality in your mind's eye. Others don't see it. Doesn't really matter. You see it in your mind's eye, and it seems to you real. And it seems to you objective at that moment. And you drop it. In confidence that the vision has its own appointed hour. And it will ripen, and it will flower. And if to others, that you might have mentioned it, it seems long, then wait. It is sure, and it will not be late. You will not bring it in one moment before time, and you will not delay. Any more than you, the word of God, will actually experience God until that appointed hour. So he said, I am the truth. All right, I am the truth. In the meanwhile, I am steeped in error, believing everything but in my own wonderful human imagination. I believe in that one, I believe in that one, I believe in this person, I believe in all kinds of things other than my own imagination. And so what I do, I am steeped in error. But at the appointed hour, I will experience the truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So no matter how long I have been steeped in error, at the appointed hour, I will experience the truth of Scripture. Then at that moment I am completely set free of all the things I formerly believed in. Now I know who I am. I know exactly what I am and who I am. Because I have experienced the truth. And you shall know, which is, you will experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let them all be as they are. I pray not only for these, said he, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So I'll pray for them, yes, all those who hear me. But I'll pray not only for these, but for those who will actually believe in me through their word. For I'll be gone, and they will tell it, for they will have experienced what I am talking about. And then when they actually hear it, you will gather one by one and all become once more the one body, the one spirit, the one Lord, the one God and Father of all. So I pray not only for you who come, but for those who will come after I am gone, who will believe in me, that is the story, through your word, you having received it, having experienced it. And so the question is, does evil befall a city <clears throat> unless the Lord has done it? He did not only allow it, he did it. Well, who was that Lord? The one who was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's the Lord. Well, who is that Lord? Well, I am. I certainly wear a robe that is dipped in blood. Cut it and you will see there is blood here. And this is the robe that I wear. And this is the word speaking to you that is actually now clothed in 
a body that is flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt within us. So as you go out, believe it. Your own wonderful human imagination is the only God of the universe. There is no other God. There is no other power. Nothing outside of your own wonderful human imagination. To what extent will you accept him? Will you accept him unconditioned? You may accept him, well, with a little bit of this added to it. But the day will come, you will actually have him and have him alone. And nothing but God. You're either with me or against me, it is. You can't take a little bit of me, but if you feel I will take a little bit of while, <clears throat> and then eventually go into the wholeness of it, all but in good. But the day will come, you will only accept the Lord. And the Lord, you will discover to be your own wonderful human imagination. That is God. So, man is God. And God is man. And they are inseparable. God of prayers, said Blake, and God is light to those poor souls who live and dwell in night. But does the human form display those who dwell in realms of day. So you meet man, you aren't going to see God in any more glorious form than you see him as man. His face is man. His hands are man. It's man. Don't go beyond it. The face, the voice, the hand, that's man. And that's the glory of God. And God is man. So whatever you do to man, you're doing to God. And whatever befalls man, it is God who is doing it, because not a thing could happen to that man unless that man, in exercising the power of the universe, did it to himself. My body is an emotional filter, and I bear the marks of my prevalent emotions, good, bad, or indifferent. So you hear something concerning a man called Neville. And you will say, well, he should have known better. Well, no question I should have known better. But nothing can happen to me if I had not done it. Can evil befall the city? Well, this elf is the city. Can evil befall this thing called Neville unless the Lord has done it? It cannot be. It cannot be. Therefore, anything that befalls me, I did it unto myself. No man comes unto me unless my father draws him. I and my father are one. So he cannot do anything to me unless I first did it to myself. And in my sleep and in my ignorance I didn't know it. And I thought I was doing it to another. And in my strange sleep I imagined unlovely things of another. And maybe even wished them and hoped for them and set them all in motion, and then came the appointed hour. And because there is no other, at that moment of the appointed hour, when it must ripen, it flowers then in me, and I bear the fruit of it. This is life. But you say, but it's a little child. There's not such thing as a little child. We are coexistent with God. <clears throat> there is such a thing as a beginning of a little child. It was before that the world was. 
It came down into the world and clothed itself in a garment of flesh. Just as you and I did. And we seem today more mature because we are now in our 60s. And the little child just died. He seems to just die. He didn't begin in his mother's womb and he doesn't end in the grave. He was before that the world was. There never was a time when he was not. And nor shall there come a time when he shall cease to be. Beginning and end of a dream. Just dream. We are all one glorious dream. All one. Now tonight, if you really accept what I'm trying to get over, and dwell upon how he is clothed, he will make it easier for you to accept him. If you know that he is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. Read it in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. He is clothed in a body, in a garment, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. By him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not a thing. Alright, he's the only creator. Well, now the Word, spoken out here, became flesh. Well, I'm flesh. He became flesh and dwells, the word translated among us, really means within. Take your concordance and look it up. The word is within, not among. Although you could use it. For certainly he is still among us. But he is within us and he is clothed in a garment that is dipped in blood. And what little child is not a garment of blood? That's where the Lord dwells. And that garment is the garment that the Lord wears. And he is using his imagination morning, noon, and night. And imagination is the Lord. For he dwells in me as my own wonderful human imagination. By that power I create whatever I create. By that power I injure or bless myself. By that power I injure or bless anything in my world. It's only myself pushed out. Therefore, if I know this, it doesn't really matter where I start in life. If I start in a palace, I am no better off than if I start in the gutter, if I know who I am. For if I know who I am, and starting in the gutter, I can rise to any level that I want in this world, if I know who I am. For that is the only power in the world. I could start at the top, not knowing who I am, go all the way down into the gutter. As we told you this past week, here is a DuPont. You could think a DuPont could lose its money, and he dropped $31 million. And his friends are all wondering, how on earth could we get into this with a man whose grandfather, or great-great-grandfather, started the DuPont billion, and his present father is now the chairman of the board of that fabulous concern, and he loses 31 million, and now has declared himself a banker. So you can start there and go to the gutter, or you can start in the gutter, as the great-great-great-grandfather did, and rose to the top. If I know who I am, and so what who I am, but my being, I am, that's the name. 
When I say I am, where am I? I am the Brahman. Well, that is the only Lord of the world. It's the only God of the world. Well, now what do I want? Well, now don't take any want into my consideration. Just what do I want? Now take my imagination and work it up to the state of vision. Well, how do I work it to the state of vision? Well, I take you. I take my wife. I take my child. I take my brother. And let them see me. As they would have to see me if I were the man that now I am assuming that I am. And so I work it up to vision. And suddenly, in my mind's eye, they appear. And they have to see me as I am assuming that I am. And then I listen in on their conversation, which implies that they do see me. It is a fact. And when I am completely satisfied that they do see me as I am seeing myself, then I break it. I drop it. Knowing that that vision has its own appointed hour. And it ripens and it will flower. And if, to me, who did it, it seems long, well then wait. For it is sure and it will not be late. It will come on time. Not before and not late. It will be right on time. And suddenly the whole thing will appear in my world and they will see it. If I know that is how things are created in this world, does it really matter where I start? Can I not tell every child born of woman who they really are? And when I depart this world, still telling it because they are worlds within worlds within worlds. This is not ended when I depart this world. I woke yesterday the morning and a friend of mine has been gone now for about six years, a doctor. A very funny fellow. And I was with him about a month before he died and he just simply went down to nothing in weight. And he said, but you know from experience that there is continuity, that there is survival. I don't know. I have no assurance. No lie. My friend who drove me down to his home, almost down to the, uh, well, San Diego factory. He too was a doctor. And he said, now you don't know, but never know. He claims he does. And I believe him. But I don't know. I have no assurance whatsoever. He was a doctor, but he really wanted to be a musician. He loved music beyond anything in this world. His house was just simply full of instruments. And that was his passion. Well, he's gone now six years. His wife remarried and his two children, they're married. But he had a very peculiar, wonderful sense of humor. The first day I met him, years ago when I came out and I lived at what is now the, uh, used to be the Tun House. It's now the church in the West or something. But he moved in and spent the month that I gave my lectures here for Fred Bale. And the very first day that I met him, he asked me to come to his suite of room. He said, you know, I feel more like I do now than when I came in. Well, now that doesn't make sense, does it? <clears throat> I feel more like I do now than when I came in. And after he said it, it, because it didn't make sense, he said, now repeat what I said. Well, I couldn't. <clears throat> it made no sense. Well, he did the same thing yesterday the morning. <clears throat> Not that line. To show me. Well, he died at the age of 56. I know you go back to around 20. And here he stands before me. And he didn't look one day over 25, 24. 
And he pulled, not that same line, but something far more funny than that. And I woke laughing. I thought I disturbed my wife laughing. I woke out actually, not screaming, but laughing, laughing out loud. It was so altogether funny. And he took words and twisted them in the same way. And there he is. A man of about 24, 25. That was the way he would identify himself with me. Well, here I was in this place. It was a hospital. And I was talking with another doctor. And all of a sudden, he comes in. And he pulls the line. I tell you, the whole vast thing is within man. There is no death. But man has to awaken to who he is. Now he knows that he has survived. He has no doubt in his mind's eye that he is restored to life. But he's just the same wonderful boy that he was here. 56. You wouldn't call that a boy. But I call everyone a child who is not aware of who he is. He's just a child. And he's the same child there now that he was here. Although now he's only about 24, 25 or so. But I tell you, if I could get over tonight, that you could dwell upon the fact that he only wears, while he is here, clothes dipped in blood. But you can't get away from that fact that you are wearing a garment, a robe dipped in blood. If you dwell upon it, then whatever I said prior to this moment, and following this moment, will begin to see through, and you will take it more seriously that, well, who is dipped in blood? Well, this is a garment dipped in blood. Then who am I? Well, don't you say I am? That sense of being, that sense of awareness, is the one that is wearing this garment dipped in blood. I give it by the name imagination. Then you come back to all right. Is that the creative power? Yes, that's the creative power. And you mean that I am only now a filter? That's all that I am. An emotional filter. And I bear the marks of my present emotion. Well, now, what is my present emotion? Well, then you name it. You could name it wealth if you want to. You could actually feel that you're completely wealthy. Feel yourself to be anything in this world, if that's what you want. It has never been my cup of tea. I have never really desired to be wealthy. I don't consider myself poor. My income is adequate, not from attending my, my lectures. But my income is adequate based upon what my earthly father left me. It's adequate, more than adequate. So it's not dependent on this. But this is my passion to tell the word of God. Not for the income that it produces, because you can see it doesn't produce it. But until the very end of my days, I want to tell it to everyone. So I pray not only for these, said he, but for those who actually will believe in me through their word. For they will hear it, experience it, and then they will tell it. That they may be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. And that I will dwell in them, and they will dwell in me, and we are all one. For eventually, everyone must be brought back by knowing the truth. I will know the truth, and the truth will set me free. So I will experience the story as told in Scripture. And having experienced it, I am automatically set free of the error that confined me. When I believe in that and that and something else, and suddenly I believe in nothing but my own being, that I either played wisely or I played 
unwise. But I must reap the consequences of what I am doing with my own wonderful human imagination. Because the city cannot come into some horrible world. Can evil or befall a city? Or does evil befall a city unless it is done by the Lord? And I've found the Lord to be the wearer of that garment of blood. And the garment is this garment that I'm wearing now. And the one who is wearing it, I am. That's the Lord. His name forever and forever. Therefore, no evil can befall this unless the Lord has done it. And the Lord is my own wonderful human imagination. So then I can rub out the seeming actions of the world. I can rub out all the things that seem to be horrors of the world. And know that I cannot avoid what I have done. I must read it. Eventually I learn then to plan wisely. And to live wisely. And to simply, well, bless everyone in the world. It's myself anyway. I am not taking anything from myself by praying for another. And when Job prayed for his friends, his own captivity was lifted. Because it wasn't really another. The whole vast world was himself pushed out. I don't have to be concerned about what is in it for me when I ask for abundance for another. I can ask for abundance for any being in the world. Willingly, I have no desire for what is called real, real wealth. First of all, it would be a problem. I would have to give time, lots of time, to the management of great wealth. You just don't have it unless let it be. You have to manage it and watch your portfolio and do all kinds of things. That is not my company. What I have today that my father gave me, I could even tell you its value. I do not know where it is. I don't even know where the stock is. I know they send me a dividend check. And therefore I know the stock is there. But where it is, I don't know. I haven't the slightest idea where it is. What its true value is, I still do not know. I only know from what they tell me. It's far, far in excess of what it has carried on the book. But being a family concern, we do not have to declare its true value. Unless we go public. And when we go public, if we ever go public, well then, the true value would have to be established. Or you couldn't go public. You couldn't sell them at the value. You're now carrying it on the book. But I do know from dividend checks that that value on the book is ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. How can they give me the check that they give me? And call that sort of a value. An accurate value. So they have to take that figure, whatever it is, and multiply it by 10 to get to its true value. But I am not concerned. I have but a few years to go, and what is there is adequate for my wife, should she survive me. And if she doesn't survive me, and I follow her, I trust not too long, then my children will get it. And they will get it just as I got it for my father. I don't care what they do with it. I have no strings attached to it. I put not a thing to it. They can take the whole thing, tear it up, and throw it away as far as I'm concerned. I would like them to know who they really are before I depart. But, strangely enough, in your own household, you don't find people interested in what you have to say. The stranger will get it, but I never hear my son asking me any questions concerning this. 
I don't think he's ever read one of my books. And my daughter lives the law to the best of her ability, but I'm her father. I'm not her teacher. And so she would listen eagerly to someone who is a known on all the nonsense in the world, rather than sit down and have one good solid hour of concentrated thinking concerning this mystery. She knows how I think and how I live. She sees it and it sort of rubs off on us. But not something that she really exposes herself to and absorbs as a teacher to a student because I am a problem. But here, I will try my best to get it over to every one of you that when I am gone, through your words, those who will come after would believe when I say in me, I mean in the teaching. So it doesn't really matter where someone is born this night and where he stands in the world. If he knows who he is, he can be anything he wants to be in this world. If he has a real consuming desire, he can realize it. All he has to do is to work up imagination to the state of vision. And by vision, one standing next to him is not going to see it. It is not some ghost where the other one will see it. No, it's all within the man himself. He sees it right within his own wonderful mind. And when Blake said, he came upon a flock of sheep, and suddenly the earth sprang into beautiful, beautiful flowers. And the lady's children just returned from school for the summer. And she said, Mr. Blake, where did you see these things? Because he said, and suddenly they all turned into beautiful sculptures. And she said, Mr. Blake, where? Because she liked to take her children and show them the sheep that are now sculptured. And the flowers are now sculptured. And he pointed to his car. That's where I saw them. Well, she was flabbergasted and thought the man was completely insane. And then they tell strange stories of Blake. But they were not true, but just to discredit the man because he said these fantastic things. And so they tell one story that he's walking down the Chesapeake in London, or Cheapside rather. As he walked down Cheapside, someone says he simply took off his hat and bowed right down to the earth. And one said to him, what did you do that for? Well, he said, that was the Apostle Paul. No one for anyone. He didn't do that. But all these things to discredit the man who only believed in the true Lord. Well, why didn't he have money? Well, that wasn't his interest. Today you couldn't buy his one copy that is colored of the poem called Jerusalem. You couldn't buy it. There's no money that could buy it. It's owned by Yale University. How they got it, I do not know. It's the only copy that he caused. He left five copies of the great poem, Jerusalem, and Yale has one, and the only colored copy. Others have been copied from that, but that's the original copy, and you put a price on it, you couldn't buy it. A picture just sold in London for five and a half million dollars, but you couldn't bring any figure for this only colored copy. And yet the man had no money. He didn't want money. And I've been asked that question, and she's never been back to my meeting at the old Ebel Club. One night she said to me, but they had no money, and if he knew all of this, why didn't he have money? Is that your only value in this world? That you have money? I have had 
the misfortune of meeting so many very wealthy people. My famous fortune, or the dubious pleasure. Because their concept of life is just simply right in the gutter, the most sordid things in the world. Not all of them, but so many of them are. If they knew a Blake, if they had had a good fortune to meet a Blake, they wouldn't understand his beginners. How would they understand one who would tell them that their inherited wealth or ill-begotten gain means nothing to him? But he's quite satisfied to sit down with a potato and call it a lovely meal and be happy if he could put a little bit of bacon with it. And he didn't have to have all the things on the outside. Lived and worked in one room, the very room in which he sat, in that room he worked, in that room he died. And yet today, after 200 years, all those who were prominent in his day are gone, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger in the mind's eye as the giant in the use of the English town. And what a revelation of mind to the world. And yet he was completely unknown and buried in an unknown grave. No one knows it. The pauper's grave. But Blake, you know. So I'm not here to tell you that you should or should not want wealth. If you want wealth, take it. It's yours for the taking. If you know who you are. And I'm telling you who you are. There's only one God. And he's actually seated here tonight in every one that is seated here. And he is your own wonderful human imagination. And by him all things are made. And without him there isn't anything made that is made. So you name what you want made in your world. And then work up your imagination to the state of vision. And then it is done. At that moment it is done. Just drop it. As you would have seen. And the seed has its own appointed hour when it's going to flower. So you go your way, leaving it alone, and when you least suspect it, it's going to erupt in your world. So when Amos asked the question, he answered it. Does evil befall a city unless the Lord has done it? No, it can't befall any city. So when you read the most horrible story in the world, well, you will react normally, but no, it is done by the very ones to whom it is done. It is all within us, everything in the world. And there is, in the end, then, no accident. And yet we are not predetermined to play a certain part. We are predetermined, as far as the word goes, to fulfill the word of God. But as far as the parts in the world, no. We are emotional builders and we will play our part based upon the degree that we have understood who we are. If I really know who I am in the midst of some mental turmoil, I'll stop it. I know what I'm doing to myself by continuing. And yet I have heard people say to me, I know what I'm going to do to myself eventually, but it's such fun. Such fun to draw him out and tell him what I think of him. And yet he doesn't know the person at all. That story I know personally. In New York City when this man hated Rosa. And I said, do you know the man? No. But I despise him. He despised Rosa because 
this train who was born in uh, Brooklyn of Germanic parents and because he was born in America, he's American, but he was born of Germanic parents. And Roosevelt declared war against what he called his land. This is his land. And he would get before that mirror in the morning as he shaved himself and imagine he's talking to Roosevelt and ball him out. I said, all right, keep on doing it and see what's going to happen to you. He did. All that he wanted Roosevelt to experience, he himself did. And he knew it was going to happen. It happened. But still he said, if you only knew the thrill I get morning after morning in doing it, you would allow me to do it. Well, I can't stop you from doing it anyway. Then I go to Broadway and I spend ten dollars for a seat or a show and no show on Broadway gives me the same pleasure that that ten minutes before the mirror does in the morning, boring him out. And so he knew exactly what's going to happen to him. May I tell you indeed? So he got to be an emotional kick out of this stupid act of his. Well now you do it, it's going to happen to you. You can stop now. And no matter what you've done so far, stop it now. It's coming up. When it comes, face it. Stop it now and free yourself completely. But I make you a promise. The day is coming. You're going to experience the truth of Scripture. And the truth is in you. It says, I am the truth. <clears throat> and when you experience the truth, no matter how long you have been in error, it will vanish and leave no trace whatsoever. You be completely free of all the things in which you have steeped yourself the day you experience the sin. Then you know who you are. And you are the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only God. So when he was asked one day by his friends, what do you think of Jesus? Blake replied without batting an eye, Jesus is the only God. <coughs> then he hastened to add, and so am I. And so are you. But by that moment, Crab Robinson must have felt himself going cold. He asked a simple question and got this wonderful answer. Jesus was, he is the only God, and so am I, and so are you. There is no other God, and Jesus is your own wonderful human imagination. There is no other Jesus. If anyone paints for you another Jesus, forget it. The only Jesus in Scripture is your own wonderful human imagination. That's Jesus. And he's buried in everyone in the world. And by him, which is your imagination, all things are made. And without him, your imagination, there is nothing made that is made. <clears throat> Be it good, bad, or indifferent. And you can start tonight to test these. As you are told, come test me in faith. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in thee? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. And I trust you will realize, said Paul, that we have not failed in meeting the test. Well, if he is in me, I should make every effort to find out where he is. Well, who is he? Be the 19th chapter. He always wears a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And that Word became flesh and dwelled within him. So that is his name forever. He is the Word of God. 
And he wears always a robe dipped in blood. Well, now you're dipped in blood. And so while you're wearing these garments, even though they're confining, know the wearer is God. And the wearer is your own wonderful human imagination. And you take it, and not one power in the world can stop you from becoming the one you want to be. Don't blame it on the pigment of your skin, or your racial background, or anything in the world. When you read these things in the paper, you scream out if they could only know who they are. If they only realize who they are. And not blame it on some so-called limitation of birth, or the so-called accident of birth. The speaker certainly can stand before any audience and honestly state that no one in that group started any more behind an eight ball than the speaker. If a little tiny island unknown, the average person even to this day, you mention the word Barbados, they don't know where it is. First of all, it's only 21 miles long and only 14 miles wide. That's the little spot, completely unknown. Set out into the Atlantic and the Caribbean. And here, a poor white family with a very large family. And no financial background, no social, no intellectual background. And this large family. But my father intuitively knew the power of imagination. And my brother, Victor, knew it. My mother, she also knew it. And in some peculiar way, it brushed off. And I fell apart. it. Now I'm sharing it with you. For today, they don't need anyone to help them. They are the ones in the position of helping people today. For there's no one in the island more prominent financially than they are. The governor comes to get the advice of my brother Victor on economic problems. They all seek his advice, not others. And yet here was a boy who had nothing. But he started off exactly what he was doing. And he saw in his mind's eye what he wanted to say, that if true would imply that we owned it. And he saw it, he worked himself up to the point of vision. And then in due course of time, it happened. This particular vision took two years. And an almost total stranger was the means through which we bought the building. And got that lovely building for $50,000, right on the main street at the corner. Did a wonderful business in it, and then sold it without any capital gain tax on it, for $840,000. That same building for which he only paid $50,000, we sold for $840,000. In the meanwhile, doing a favorable business in it, in fact, one across the way, in the middle of the war, for something like 125,000, we have already been offered something like 6 million for it. And that's all Vic's doing in his mind's eye. But that's his cup of tea. He likes the use of money. Not owning it really to have money, but just the use of it. It excites him. He doesn't excite me at all. I seem to brought into this world with a peculiar art of spending. And he had the art of investing. So we balance each other. He invests and makes it, and I spend it for him. But here, the God of the Scripture is your own wonderful human imagination. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, that prior to this moment you might have bowed before, is your own wonderful human imagination. That is the only Jesus in the world. That's Jesus. The sacred being wearing a robe dipped in blood. And that robe of blood is your own physical body that you're wearing now. That is when the Word, that's his name, became flesh. And now dwells within us. Now let us go into the silence.